In 2021, Talk About It Outdoors partnered with an industry-leading brand that has stamped its name on the outdoor industry. Cruiser Saddles in itself stands on perfection, and with every climb we make, we elevate ourselves above the rest. In addition to a support to our hunting journey, the men and women behind Cruiser believe in the same principles of life as us. Faith, family, and the blessings of being better as they go in every sit. If your desire to pursue your passions one step ahead of the rest, go ahead and get in the best. Check them out on all the socials or head over to their website at www.cruiser.com. That's C-R-U-Z-R.com. And tell them to talk about it outdoors, boys, and Chasing Weekends sent you their way. The journey of life has a unique way of being able to create tried and true friendships as we go. In forming those relationships, oftentimes good things come to follow. Talk About It Outdoors is proudly supported by Cal Hardy of Arrowhead Land Company. Cal is the leading broker over Georgia and is happy to assist you with finding the place where you can call home. With vast knowledge and an understanding of the ever-evolving real estate market and a unique old-school approach to everything he does, he exemplifies what it means to treat others like you'd want to be treated. Don't settle for being just another number in a phone. Choose Cal Hardy for all your land, home, and commercial real estate needs and become a part of his family. We sure are blessed to have him as a part of ours. Find him on Facebook, Instagram, or give him a call at 770-296-2163. Step back to the times when a feed store was more than just that, and the people inside smiled with friendly faces and provided a place for a talk on life, as well as all your essential farm, livestock, and pet needs. Cherokee Feed the Seed located in Ball Ground, Georgia, with an additional location in Gainesville, are the hometown supplier of all your cattle, equine, and pet needs, with the added addition of being able to keep your deer herd healthy with protein and minerals. They also carry an assortment of hunting blinds and gear, and you can rest easy knowing the people that support local ball clubs and children's sports are who your hard-earned money is going to. The people here greet you with a handshake and a smile, and Cherokee Feed and Seed give more than just a product. They give you a welcome that'll make you return time and time again. Stop in next time you're in the area and tell them you're part of the Talk About It Outdoors family. A few years back, when an overbearing and overgrown backyard became an eyesore, I looked for a solution to resolve. LRS Land Services created a stunning and complete transformation turnkey at an affordable price with their mulching services. Not limited to mulching, LRS can provide turnkey grading and clearing, maintenance, right-of-way clearing, and even development for any and all forestry needs. With an innovative outlook on what is best for your land and a completely different approach than others, LRS can transform your overgrown eyesore into a beautiful landscape of your dreams. Give them a call at 404-889-1105 or check their work out on Facebook at LRS Land Services. Logan and his team are ready to make your land brand new again. Building the foundation of your life starts at the base, and the stronger it is, the better. 
Talk About It Outdoors is proud of our strong partnership with United Concrete and Paving and the foundation of support they provide. Whether your new home being built needs concrete work or that driveway you're tired of beating all the bearings from your pickup needs a paving, Michael and his team can provide any residential or commercial project support you might need from the ground up. If you're tired of tripping over that unsettled patio slab or a future shop build needs a smooth start, United Concrete and Paving can get you going when you need it most. Give them a call at 404-831-3036 and make sure you tell them them TAI boys are where you heard it first. You ready, Nick? Let's do it. All right, everybody, talk about it outdoors live in the Wilson studio. What is going on with my ears? Somebody's things messed up. Nick, good to see you, old buddy. We got Tyler, Caleb, Cody. Everybody's in the house with us tonight. It's going to be a fun one. Y'all pull up a chair and sit a while. It's going to be on like Donkey Kong. Kind of broke my intro up there, Nick. I don't know what all that popping and cracking was. You know what that was? I don't. What was that? That was that. Sometimes I feel like an old violin. You put that trumpet up, never to be played again. <laughs> Turkey season is over, and goodness gracious, I'm so excited to see it. I, I don't, I don't know. Um, what is that popping? I don't know. Is you popping your gums? I might have been. Some, we got so many people over here tapping their toes. They ready to go? They've been shooting their bows. They've been geared, getting geared up for the one shot. Cody was so close. He was close. What did he finish? Third place. Third place. The, the second loser. I think I was dead last. <laughs> I was probably right in front of you. <laughs> if you don't know what's going on with that, the one-shot competition over at the Bow Hunting League. Before we get started tonight, special shout-out over to Chasing Giants, Don Higgins, Terry Peer, the Lester's Feet Foundation that they've got going on. They're giving away a brand-new Chevrolet truck. Terry reached out to me and asked if I'd mind sharing that with all our listeners. If you don't know what that is, they do um, basically hospital care and, and taking care of benefits and things for children that are sick and, and conflicted and they give away a truck they give away some amazing prizes but it's lester's feet foundation we'll be sharing some of that on our social media and stuff but shout out to terry and and don over at chasing giants been good friends of ours since we got started and they ain't, they ain't afraid to talk about it no sir no don will fire on all cylinders <laughs> with him he is mad at the world right now he's giving them a hard time and you know speaking of don higgins you know early on we talked about the writing and how passionate it was to read what was going on. And for a lot of years, tonight's guest has been, well, gracing the pages of our hometown magazine with G-O-N. Uh, he's done a lot of great articles, and he's done a lot of great things for this state and what he's done. But without further ado, it's my pleasure to introduce back to the show once again, Mr. Donald Devereaux Jarrett with G-O-N, Georgia Outdoor News. Welcome, Donald. Hey, guys. How y'all doing this evening? Better now that we're talking to you. It's always a pleasure. <laughs> yeah, mine too. It sure is. I said I, I said on there that turkey season's over, and I couldn't be nonetheless happier. But I will be honest with you, Nick. I was a little sad not getting to, to shoot one in the face this year. Wait, no, oh, you didn't. Uh, about you, shooting you one. Did, you didn't shoot one. No, I didn't shoot nothing. I shot my mouth. That's about all I done, Donald. I'm good at that. <laughs> well, I, I cannot believe that you're glad the turkey season is over. 
it's a it's a love hate relationship with Nicholas and I. We we started this podcast and I wasn't no turkey hunter. Swore up and down I wasn't going to turkey hunt. Da, 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 this and got drugged to the woods five times to swat skeeters this year and <laughs> really fought it out. Well, I, I would have to say I'm I'm suffering from PTSD right now. I'm post turkey season disorder. I I I can't get my head around the fact that it's gone. It went by so fast. Do you think that this was your best year, Nick? That you've had? Measured to years past? In your brain, when you <laughs> lay down at night with your head on the pillow, do you think, man, this was a really amazing turkey season? I mean, how could you not? We're, I'm sorry, I asked. I, I mean, how could you not? We're alive and well when we were able to turkey hunt. So I was able to go with some of friends and family. and Killed your biggest bird? Um Killed my heaviest bird, yeah, probably, and my longest spur. I don't know about longest beard. Um, I'm in a good competition for shortest beard ever for the state of Georgia. Um, but, yeah, I think so. I think that looking at what you've done in years past, your confidence level going into this turkey season seemed to be at an all-time high. Yeah. Um, the calling and everything that you did. I don't know. I just To me, it seemed like, and maybe it's because I spent more time with you over the last two turkey seasons that I have in years past, but it looked to me like you were never frustrated this year. You Maybe you took a grasp for it a little bit more than when you had in the past. Maybe the older I get, I hide it better. <laughs> <laughs> Donald, you can see this love-hate relationship. I'm trying to pull everything in the world out of him. He's trying to give me credit, but. I'm trying to, but he won't take it. <laughs> hey, take it, take it. Well, Donald, you know, when you came on and we met you over at GON, it was an awesome pleasure to get to talk to you there. But for everyone that may not know a little bit about you, kind of kind of give us a little backstory on on where you got your start hunting and and how you got involved with Georgia Outdoor News. Well, I, I'm like thousands of others across the state and the country that I, I got my start hunting with my, my dad. You know, my daddy taught me how to hunt and fish and, and brought me up in the outdoors and I'm fortunate enough to grow out way out grow up way out in the country and so that was that was my lifestyle. You know, we, we worked hard, we played hard, we hunted hard and and uh, it it grew, it stuck to me at an early age and uh, you know, I went from deer hunting to into when I first started turkey hunting I I realized that I had really just uh, discovered something that was going to consume me the rest of my life and uh, I, I love turkey hunting i can promise you that that there's never been anybody born that loves it any more than i do um that's not to say i'm i'm the greatest or the best or anything but i promise you nobody loves turkey hunting any more than i do and uh as a result of turkey hunting i i started writing a little journal and uh, trying to keep up with things as I went along each season and that turned into a uh, story form and the next thing you know it turned into a book and uh, then Georgia Outdoor News reached out to me and they did an interview article way back around 2000 or somewhere around there and after that they uh, approached me and asked if I would consider writing articles for them and I said sure you know and then they told me they wanted me to write how-to articles, and I thought, nah, I don't know about that. I just want to write stories. But they assured me that the market was there for, for how-to articles, and I had a real hard time doing that. But then I, I finally figured out a way to incorporate stories and do how-tos on that particular story article. And 
uh, or sub uh, subject matter, and and it turned into a good thing. I've been writing for George Outdoor News for for uh, over twenty years now, and of course that's evolved into a whole lot of other things as well. I, I write for Mossy Oak, and um, I write for uh, several other magazines here and there. Uh, the new magazine that just came out, the uh, first issue was back in April, and another one coming out soon, and. I did three or four articles in that one, got a couple in the next one. So it's just a growing thing. It's, it's amazing that, um, you know, Brad Gill, George Outdoor News, told me, he said, I don't know how, how many ways you can kill a turkey. I don't know how you keep coming up with different material. And I said, it's just all about the passion. You know, you don't get tired of talking about it. And uh, fortunately, I've been blessed enough where I can scribble something down where a lot of people understand it and I guess the best, biggest compliment I ever get from people is that they say I felt like I was sitting right beside you on that story, and that's that's uh, mission accomplished for me right there. Well, whoever's picking out the cover <laughs> pictures, just let them know they give poor old Nicholas over here a heart attack the other day. He reached into his mailbox to get his edition this month, and there laid a rattlesnake in his mailbox on the front cover of GON and like to have <laughs> give him a heart attack. You know what I did? I ripped the front. I ripped the front page of that thing off too. God, I hate a snake. I hate a rattlesnake, boy. I opened that. I was telling you, I opened that mailbox and I was on the phone with Alex, and I thought, "Oh crap!" I heard him gasp. (laughs) I wasn't looking at the writing. I wasn't looking at anything. But hey, I'm I'm not a big fan of them either. I don't like them. Donald, when you're writing that stuff for Gon, did you ever feel like when you're incorporating um, turkey hunting tactics that you feel like you were giving away advice from being an old turkey hunter that probably didn't want to share much? Well, uh, you know, initially, I, I guess I kind of did a little bit, but I felt like, well, there's, there's so much out there that uh, that I've learned, and there's uh, plenty that I haven't learned, and I'm still learning every year. Uh, after 34 years of it, I've still got things to learn. You never learn at all. But uh, I think as time's gone on, I realize that it's a gift to be able to share those things with other people, and, and people that haven't hunted before, or that are just getting into hunting, they, they need help. And then I didn't have that. I, I didn't have some old man take me by the hand and teach me, you know, show me the ropes. I just had to figure it out. And, and the, the teacher, the, the, the teacher I had was, was the turkey. And I got my brain beat out time and time again. And, and it, it helped me in the long run, but it sure was tough in the beginning. And I don't worry about that anymore. I used to, I used to think I, I wouldn't care if, if nobody ever, got into turkey hunting again besides me you know because turkey hunters were a stingy selfish bunch and uh, me included it used to be but i think uh, i get more pleasure out of sharing things and helping people and if i can help somebody be a better turkey hunter then that that makes me feel better about about how i'm supposed to be you know i've had people tell me man you're giving away too many secrets I'm like, <laughs> nah, I'm, just, I'm just trying to help people you know you know, Ron Jolly told us on a recent episode that his dad flat quit taking him turkey hunting when he started sharing secrets <laughs> that he had taught him. Yeah, yeah. Ron told me that he Jolly Jolly is old school, you know, and uh, I like to think I am too. I, uh, but but Jolly told me that same story, and that's that's kind of funny. And and that's the way a lot of the old old school old timers way back were very, uh, you know, they didn't tell you. They didn't tell you things. It was all secrets. You had to figure it out all by yourself. They'd take you hunting, but uh, once you started killing one or two, they'd kind of kick you to the curb. You know, you got you're on your own. So, uh, yeah, I get that. I get that sometimes. 
And it was because it was a different time when those guys grew yeah. up because they were a lot less turkeys than they are now. Sure. You're right. And, you know, I listened to that show you told me to listen to again today. And it was the turkey with the sub, whatever his name is, 49, the guy that's rose so much stink up about the reaping. I said, I wasn't going to bring us up, but I, you made an interesting <laughs> point there. And Nicholas and I were talking about it, and he had made some points to where, and I don't understand all the, the theology behind it or whatever it may be, but I I just could not get it out of my head that a 21-year-old kid is politician in or politicking for something to be banned. What kind of knowledge basis has he really got in 21 years? I mean, I think he's a little older than that, ain't he? Well, he said he started noticing a problem with it at 19. I think he's a little older than that because he's out of college. But, I mean, he can't be. Maybe he I don't, went to community I, college. I he's got he, a two-year degree. I think he's in his upper 20s, maybe early 30s. But <sighs> I don't know. Now. Go no, ahead no, no, because no, <laughs> we don't want to go too far down that. But he shouldn't be. I mean, nobody's to judge nobody how to hunt. That's all. Simple as you can right. put it. I don't know any other way to put it in a short story. It's the easiest way to put it. You start judging people, start taking away opportunities, you're going to hurt yourself in the long run. <laughs> that's just well, my that's, opinion on it. It's a hot subject for sure, and, and I, I, won't, I won't get into it either. I, I know that there's – I understand people's reason behind saying it's a bad thing, but also, you know, I understand that whatever's legal is, is what people are going to do. Uh, I think it's up to each individual to determine – what route they want to go and how they want to hunt and uh, you, you know you can beat it to death there's so many so many ways you can look at it but uh, if if that's hunting to you then then have at it but uh, you know for those of us that choose to do things old school ways obviously reaping and fanning doesn't even come into the picture was it was it Back in the old days when wing bones really come about, that's something I've been seeing a lot of now. People think that's the coolest thing in the world now. It was was back in er, back in the early days. Was that Donald? Was that a big thing? Uh, yeah, that that's something that's been around a very, very long, uh, long time. Uh, but you just didn't see many people using that. A lot of the old timers would use them, and and that would be like the secret weapon, or so to speak. And but but when I when I first got into turkey hunting, it was it was box call, diaphragms, and a pot call. That was that were your that was your main tools, and and then and I got hung up on the it's funny I got hung up on the the almost an egotistical side of of, of a diaphragm because that was a, a measuring tool, and if you couldn't use a mouth call, then people are like, hey, he's not turkey, he can't even call. Well, maybe he can't call them that, but he can call them something else. Eventually, I went from using a diaphragm 98% of the time to saying, well, it'd be cool to call one up with this and that and the other. Now, I probably still use a diaphragm 80, 85% of the time, but other 15 to 20% of the time is made up of a lot of different calls. And I enjoy calling a bird up with something different here and there. You know, it'd be a scratch box, a tube, a wing bone, a trumpet diaphragm whatever uh it it makes me feel like i'm a little more rounded and it gives me um options when something's not working to up you know that's that's one thing i learned way back if i'm not hitting that call try something else well i had about two other calls i could go to two or three and now i've got a whole 
whole desk full of different things. So I, I just I think it's cool to be able to you know run different things and fill birds with all of them. That's that's part of the fun to me. That bot or that tube call, Ooh. Nicholas, you've been having fun with that. Yeah, yeah, I've that's been trying, but man, it's hard. <laughs> It takes a well, lot. Of, it takes a lot of air pressure. It seems like, and that's it's it's for the common person that just that don't know how to blow one of those. That's kind of what you kind of learn when you first start turkey hunting. To me, is like you don't want to go out there and call loud. Well, that tube call, you can't help but call loud. I mean, you got, you, you got to rip it. It's it's tough to tone down. I I use a tube call more for locating, cutting that kind of thing, fly down cackles, goblins, that kind of stuff. Uh, really cool to to use a, a, a tube call to, to do a gobble and roll into some jake yelps or something and, and it, it can it can be the the uh the thing that helps you get the trigger pulled it's uh it's just just another little something in the arsenal you know i enjoy it, tube call you you on this 12 gauge or 20 gauge bandwagon we're i'm gonna start pulling that <laughs> i i am on the, I'm, I carry my 12 gauge because now I've got a couple of 20s. I've even got a 410. I've never taken to the woods. I've got a couple of 20s and I've, I've killed a bird or two with those, but I still take my 12. And I, I've got a 12 gauge Winchester 1300 pump laminated stock and uh, I got it back in 1989. Uh, and uh, I feel like I'm cheating when I leave that gun at home. <laughs> I, I just. It's like no, I got to take that one, and I majority every every year, majority of the birds I kill are going to be with that twelve gauge, and uh, that particular gun's probably responsible for about one hundred and thirty-five dead turkeys. So uh, it's hard to leave it at the house. What did you tell me the other day, Nick? That boy said, "Why you shoot a three and a half? Cause they don't make a four and a half." Donald, have you ever killed a bird with um? like a unique technique that you maybe thought, man, that's never going to work. And it, you just happen to get it in. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure there's, there's been some things. I think the, the first time that I did something that was kind of against the grain, uh, for me was, was using gobbler vocabulary to kill a gobbler. Um, uh, that was so unorthodox at the time. You know, it was all about calling him up, sounding like a hen and that's, that's it the needle works or it doesn't and uh, for me it all started when one day I, I was like this nothing's working you know and, and I, it dawned on me that this turkey wasn't in a breeding stage yet he was in a he was in a goblin just a dominance you know trying to figure out second order kind of thing and more interested in fighting and breeding and, and I, I kind of turned the tables and started uh, doing a little fighting purring and goblin and of course, it about ran over me, and I was like, "Holy moly! I didn't know this could be done this way." So, just just uh, little things like that along the way. Um, you know, it, it, there's so many different uh, transitional periods of turkey hunting, and it, it, if you can learn to roll with those, the better off you'll be. I've, I've hunted turkeys uh, where you, uh, you couldn't get a turkey to gobble. You know, trying to sound like a hen, and and then you go to a a goblin or a fighting purring or something that was all male and it sounded like somebody turned stereo on they just went to goblin all around and turkeys died that day and it was just uh it's just a there's always something that you you know you've got to be willing to try something mm-hmm. different and sometimes it costs you a, an awful lot of patience and you know the old saying that patience kills more turkeys than anything and it's true but uh, i think the biggest 
thing of patience to me is not sitting in one spot and listening and, and hoping that sometime today you're going to get in a conversation with Galva. I think it's once you you know there's a Galva there and, and having to keep your mouth shut. That's probably one of the toughest patience tests there is. But that alone uh, can, can kill a lot of turkeys. So I don't know. There's always something different, that, uh, and I'm not afraid to try different things. And if it, it you know, most of the time I, I discover the things that, like that when all else fails. It's like, hey, I'm pulling out the stops. I'm not killing him anyway. Let's try this. And all of a sudden, you hit on something different. And you're like, wow, yeah. I'm gonna get me a handful of them oyster shells when I go down there to the beach this time. Uh, I've been seeing them people use them oyster shells, them strikers. Probably, uh, who, who, who told you that? I've been seeing it on TikTok, Instagram. Yeah, I've seen it on there. <laughs> I used uh, not an oyster shell, but a uh, clam shell back in uh, Nebraska about seven or eight years ago. Um, I got one. I don't even remember where I got it from, but you talk about soft fucking and purring and just real soft yelps. And, and when I got through, I was working spur in for these guys and they turned around after the hunt was over and they said, where was that hen? I said, what are you talking about? There was a hen behind you. I said, no, that was me. Said, well, what were you calling on? And I showed him and he's like, man, that's, that's six right there. And it, it really is a cool, cool little concept. Cool call. Trendsetter. That's what Donald Jared is, Nick. A trendsetter. He don't. He, he didn't even know it. He was setting trends. <laughs> do, do you still got that clamshell in your bag? Man, I got a box full of them. Have y'all ever I, called anything up? That was just I actually, when I was down there at Myrtle Beach, like a couple of weeks ago, I was walking the beach looking for those shells, and Brittany's like, "What are you doing?" I said, "I'm seeing it on Facebook. I'm going to try this out there in Turkey season." I never could find one that would sound good, though. I brought two all yeah. along, but I couldn't get no sound. I love out, really. Maybe you would have got you one of them conch shells and tried to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, might, I might be what I do. I'll pick up a conch shell down there this time and see if I can't. <laughs> pick up a sand dollar, see if you can turn, <laughs> turn that thing into a long beard. <laughs> Use it as a diaphragm. <laughs> <laughs> Half a sand dollar as a diaphragm. I can see me walking around with that. We'll get to the GON outdoor blast. And they'll have twelve seashells sitting up there on the thing at Pistol Creek. <laughs> oh, Tyler, you ever killed anything just like out of a bird that you? I just don't know how it come together, but it did. Yeah. Yeah. Hang on. So, uh, sorry, Donald. I was asking Tyler right here good. real quick. It's all good. No, hang on. Yeah, the bird I killed probably, I think it was three, four years ago. Yeah. Um, over at my property. I had been hunting him all season long and called to him. And as soon as they would hit the ground, a hen would go with him and they'd just get together and go off. So finally, the last day of season, I went over there and she started calling and I started just laying it to her. And about 10 minutes later, when they hit the ground, she come in first, and he was right behind her. So you just made her mad. That's why. It's exactly what happened. Yeah. That's usually what happens if you take them off mad, yeah. bad enough. I tell you what, I ain't never heard anybody run a box call like Donald. <laughs> oh, he, he can flat tear it up on a box call. On which one? That old violin? Yeah. The old violin was nasty this spring, I can tell you that. Donald, tell us your uh, – tell us – couple people you're associated with you're associated with pistol creek mossy oak tell us how those got started well um i think everything started for me as far as being able to become associated with people was 
when I started guiding turkey hunters in South Dakota and, and that career grew into just more and more and more. And, and I, from GON, I went to, uh, got on with, uh, actually got on with, with Jeb's jokes first and, uh, then Mossy Oak then Pistol Creek. Um, I was doing an article on some, some call makers in the state of Georgia and I really had intended to just do it for just a couple of hometown guys that are really close to me and make fantastic calls. And, uh, and, uh, ended up doing John Browning as well, this Creek. And, uh, John and I hit it off. And uh, a few months after that article, he, he reached out to me and asked me if I want to be a part of this Creek. I didn't really hesitate on that. That's, uh, it's a good fit. Um, so between Pistol Creek, Debs and, and, uh, and uh, Mossy Oak, and, and then the writing part, and uh, the South Dakota thing. It's just a snowball thing, and um, I I just love each one of them the same. I mean, I just really enjoy being a part of all those. Well, you've mentioned South Dakota a few times. Tell us about what you got going out going on out there. Is that do you own a piece of property out there? Or? No, I don't own it. Uh, I, I work closely with some landowners out there that allow me to hunt the property and. Um, I've got about, I don't know, ten to 12,000 acres in South Dakota and another couple thousand down in Nebraska. So uh, at the outfit actually uh, was started by Mike Moody back in way back. But uh, I met him about four or five years in after he had started the operation, or at least he'd, he'd only been turkey hunting three or four years at the time I met him. And uh, I went out and hunted with him just on a, on a hunt trip, you know, and we hit it off and he offered me a, an opportunity to come guide for him the next year, and, and I jumped all over that. And uh, it grew from there. He and I became very close, and I worked for him for a lot of years. And um, then last year, we had been, been out uh, hunting with him uh, and been home a couple of days. And he said, DJ, it's time. I said, time for what? It's time for you to take over this outfit. So I jumped on that, too. It was The timing was right, and... Um, you know, it's just it's been going on for 35 or more years now. And I've been going to South Dakota and hunting and guiding out there for, for about 29 years now. So Oh, wow. So that's uh, just turkey hunting only? Yeah, that's all, that's all it is. I uh, used to do, we used to have 40,000-plus acres. And uh, we had a bigger operation. We did deer and pheasant and duck, turkey and uh, I only did the turkey part. I just didn't have the time. Still don't have the time to do all of those things. So just do uh, just do turkey. But uh, I'm already booked all the way through next year and uh, taking taking hunters down for 24. So it's it's been very successful. Is that a um, is that Merriams in that region or hybrids Rios? What you got? It's it, it's Merriams, but you will have some hybrids. Uh, you might see four strutters come in and two of them white and two of them buff tan, whatever. And uh, most people that come, you know, I, I get the occasional, well, I want to kill a true strain, true strain Miriam. Well, okay. Um, come on up. We got them. We do. But at the same time, you got, uh, <laughs> you got some hybrids that show up. And I've, I have found that most of the people that say they want a true strain Miriam, when a, a strutter comes in there in their face and they don't find what color he is. So if somebody called you, Donald, and they wanted, <clears throat> they wanted to come out there and com- they had a two birds left to complete their slam for the year. 
or just all in general, if they wanted to kill a Rio and a Merriam, I guess Nebraska and South Dakota would take care of both of those? Well, not in my area. Um, well, I, I say that. The area that I'm in is a, is recognized as Merriam territory. Okay. Now, uh, depending on what map you look at, what day and what magazine, you you don't it may show that there's hybrids that some will say straight Miriam. I know there's hybrids in there, um, but I, I've never promoted it as, hey, come out here and kill a Rio just because he's this color. Okay, we'll call that Rio. Congratulations. I'm I'm not doing that. Uh, I'm just saying that I've got Miriams, and I know there's some hybrids in there, which is a hybrid because of a Miriam and a Rio, but uh, I've probably seen some birds. I've probably killed some birds that were Rio, but um, – to be able to sit there and look at that fan color and go, well, that's not a hybrid, that's a Rio. I'm not, I'm not uh, going to get into all that. I, I know that I've got Miriam's turkeys, and uh, if you want to come kill a Miriam's and kill one, NWTF recognizes that area as straight Miriam's turkeys. Um, but you can certainly see some that are just white tipped as they can be, and then you'll see some that's got the buffer. So I wonder uh, if that's I'll, ever caused a conflict. I'm sure it has at some point. If nothing else, between the old buddies at home, well, there's a little Miriam. <laughs> you know, you know how it is. You didn't kill a Miriam. You killed an Eastern. You was in Alabama. Yeah. <laughs> have you have you killed all the species in North America, Donald? No, I've, I've just completed. I've got five grand slams, and uh, I told somebody. Somebody asked me that not too long ago. I said, "How many slams have you got?" I said, "Well, I've got five. I said, "But if I kill, I think it's." Uh, Let's see. Twelve. If I kill twelve more Osceolas, I'll have seventeen. <laughs> so, wow. What's I don't see that. What's your favorite bird so far to hunt? That that'd be a toss up for me, uh, and more because of the the region than anything. I it'd be between a Miriams and Eastern. I mean, I love it old screaming Eastern here in Georgia and across the southeast, and but. I, I've never stood in prettier territory than I, in those canyons and draws in South Dakota. And we got the Missouri breaks. It's all river drainages to the Kent to the to the Missouri River. It's just absolutely gorgeous. Now, don't get me wrong. I I can stand in the, the mountains of North Georgia or even places around here in, in the middle part of the state that I just absolutely love, and they're gorgeous. Every, every state has some beauty to it, you know, but. As far as the subspecies, I would I would rate it, you know, Easterns and Miriams right there, tip for tat. That seems like most people's answer, and and I, I'm kind of with you because that's the only two species I've hunted so far. But you do get that hard goblin Eastern, but man, it sure is nice to see some of that scenery out out west. Oh, it is. Uh, you know, a lot of people go, well, "Why do you want to get? We got turkeys here. Why do you want to go off way off across the country kill a turkey?" Well, because uh, you, you can kill you kill Eastern here, or, or you can kill a turkey here, but you can't kill a Rio here, and you can't kill an Osceola here, and you can't kill a Miriams here, and you can't stand in the in the Missouri breaks or the Texas plains or whatever. You know, it's all about the people. It's all about the habitat and the terrain and all that. It's, it all adds together and makes up for something special. Donald, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have Cody ask you a question real quick. We had Dave Owens on the podcast, one of our one of our first guests back in the day and um Who? Dave oh. Owens. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was pulling you there. Um he Cody asked him a question about what I'll let you ask him, Cody. I just asked if the um, I forgot exactly how I phrased it, but do you call to the Miriams different than you would call to an Eastern? That's basically how I phrased yeah. it, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. 
so that's the question would you do that or do you do that do you do you do that like if you are going out to hunt miriams do you change your call sequence at all do you change your uh your pattern do you do you set up on the birds different or do you keep everything pretty much the same no matter what subspecies you're hunting well i, I don't i don't, I don't uh, like to break up subspecies in terms of this bird does this and this bird does that i, I just treat it as turkey hunting and turkeys are turkeys and, and, and you know some people i had a, had a client one time in south dakota and he he and I got on a bird, and I worked this bird for over an hour, and he he whipped my pants. I mean, just there was no he moved or I I moved or something. I, he he beat my brains out. And uh, when he walked off gobbling back down in the canyon, I stood up stretching, and the guy walks over. And he said, "Dig that up, Miriam's were supposed to be dumb." And I about spit my diaphragm. I was, it was just funny to me. I said, "Look, dude, it's just a turkey. It's a turkey, and, and turkeys will beat your butt." All across the country, I don't care who you are or where you go, you can get a butt whip, and there's one out there for you. And it hurts just as bad to get whipped by a Rio or a Miriam as it does an Eastern or an Osceola. So what I do, I go I go turkey hunting, and that's all I do. I, now, the difference being for me in setups, you mentioned setups. Setups in South Dakota as opposed to Georgia, yeah, they're different because you got a lot of open ground. You don't always find that ideal setup. You think, well, open ground, you find a tree, you're good to go. It's not always the case. Finding good cover, that kind of thing, backdrop, those things. And then uh, the other thing about calling, for me, the the rhythm and the cadence is a little different when you start dealing with, a, say, a Miriam's. A Miriam's turkey, generally the hens, they, they'll be up a little, little faster. Um they're generally a little bit higher pitch and clearer. I know I've heard some extremely raspy ones. And, uh, but, uh, as, as far as, um, do I work them differently? No, I'll just let that turkey tell me what to do and I, I try to uh, comply, you know. Yeah, because I'll tell you, I just got back from Utah and talked about getting your mm-hmm. butt whipped. We were hunting <laughs> some pretty pressured ground in southern Utah right. and I straight got my butt whooped by a turkey every day and it seemed like they were just an eastern will come in and you know he may even come in quiet but he'll come in check things out and if he don't like it or he don't see what he wants to see and he hangs up or whatever he will leave mm-hmm. out out there those miriams they gobble their head off but they would just come in do drive-bys and i was extremely pressured where we were hunting they'd mm-hmm. gobble they'd gobble from 800 yards to 60 yards and then just kind of loop around you and just drive away yep. so very frustrating how that happened and and uh i think you just hit on it really really well when you said pressure because pressure makes all the difference in the world no matter where you hunt uh, you could you could take one of those dumb old miriams or dumb old rios and put him in the middle of cedar creek wma here in georgia and if he makes it a season he's going to be just as bad as the rest of them so Whoa, whoa, Cedar Creek. Now, you you talking these boys up. Here's language now, Donald. They, they like to go down there and kick around in them woods rather than hey. deers, but they maybe let's, not no turkeys. Let's get with it. I can tell you all about Cedar Creek. That's have a, you ever seen what? the Asian guy that rides a bicycle two and a half, three miles in there? I have seen some Asians over there. I don't. I didn't associate him with anybody in particular. Or <laughs> <laughs> hey, you that guy on that bike. <laughs> 
They, I just heard um, tell about a guy that rides a bicycle way back in there, Mulkey, and all them talk about him, seeing him every year. He's coming in there, and he's going to kill something. I've seen, I've seen some bicycle tracks way back in the woods, for sure. Might be Might, might have been him. Yeah. <laughs> what county you live in, Donald? I live in Putnam County. Okay. You ain't too far from that old club I got in down there. You have to come over and where, see me. Where we? Where you at? Oh God! I'm about to look it up. Y'all find Donald question. Let me look it up. <laughs> <laughs> He's over off that dirt road, off that other dirt road, Donald, by that old by home that place. Yeah. Yes. You go that stop sign, turn right, and then it's down there on the left, off that dirt road. Yeah, but where that big dog chained up right there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Bite the hell out of you. Don't get out. And check your mail. I I don't play with him. He's bad. <laughs> it was it was amazing to me out there in Utah though how close those Miriams would get in that thick stuff, all that scrub oak and you know the, the cedars yeah. and all that. And yeah. I, it was so frustrating because they'd be gobbling their heads off forty yards, you couldn't see them, and yeah. and they would. Yeah. And another thing I noticed about those birds out there, and Nick and I spoke about this a lot, working on you know talking about patience. And I think it may have had to do a lot with the pressure there, but when when you quit calling to those birds out there, they'd quit coming. You had to keep yeah, calling. Sometimes they will. Keep yep. calling, keep That's calling, keep calling, and it was just um, totally different than it was my it was my first time out there, and you know I was fortunate enough this year to tag out in Georgia and had a great time doing it. But you know, got out there high confidence and straight got humbled <laughs> real yeah. quick. A turkey can can do that really well. Yeah, so it was it was an amazing trip. Like you said, the the country out there is is, is the reason I'll go back just to see the different country Absolutely. and be able to and chase those birds. And we'll we're definitely looking at a different area already for next year that's going to be less pressured for sure. So yeah, good time. Yeah, if you can avoid uh, the high pressured areas, especially if you're on the road, your your limited time, you know, all those things. That that's a good thing to do if you can. Do you think Donald going out there, taking old Georgia boy from the south and, and throwing him in the mix of that, what was the biggest, I guess, thing you saw as a difference in the, the terrain? Was it higher elevation? Was it, you know, was it harder to breathe? No, or was where, it... where I went in South Dakota was uh, uh, the first time I ventured out of Georgia to uh, to hunt turkeys was in Texas. That was that was culture shock in itself. But when I went to South Dakota, I I just said there, my jaw dropped. I mean, it was uh, just absolutely gorgeous, but it was also uh, hard to understand the importance of staying in cover as you move, and and you don't just walk across tops of these ridges and skyline, and you don't just walk from finger to finger across these open sections on the sides of these draws because you'll get busted, and you'll get busted, you won't even know you're getting busted. But, um, I think the the difference was for as far as terrain goes was not only was it we're not not even altitude to speak of in South Dakota, but once you drop into one of those big canyons and, and you start coming back out, you realize I got to be in better shape. I'm gonna do this again next year. Uh, it's not flat ground stuff. Now you know North Georgia guys understand the importance of being able to cover some ground up and down hills, but uh, that out there gets your attention. I'll tell you the only other thing, and we talked about this early on, Nick and I. The different, the biggest difference in Miriams and Easterns is those Miriams have got some wheels on them. 
and they'll they they'll, they'll close the distance fast, but they'll leave fast too. Absolutely, they so. can cover some ground when they hit the ground in the morning. Um, for the most part, they they hit it uh, with a mission in mind, and that mission is to go a long way and get right back in that same general area that night. I mean, they they're moving, and getting in front of them is, can be next to impossible. I mean, a uh, you know you got to figure in up down up down they can cover it like it's nothing and uh, getting in front of them is a pretty hard deal last year last year when i hunted the black hills to me they never roosted in the same general area right and 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 dave kind of put it in a good a good scenario they don't have like georgia bird has an a a point a and a point b when he gets up every day Mm -hmm. and he usually comes back to point a a lot of the times out there, those birds, when they wake up, they ain't got nothing to do. They're just like old loafers. They're just living off of government, son. <laughs> they, they, just, they just pack a, pack a truck and go, so They don't care. Yeah. Oh, living off of government. I like that. <laughs> i tell you what, though. i tell you what, uh, Donald, when we went to Idaho, though, those are Merriam's also. And those birds are a lot – they're a lot more patternable like a Georgia bird. They They didn't seem to travel as much now. I don't think they had as much pressure either. So, well, that, I was just to say, uh, when, when you talk about birds roosting in the same spot, and I think you can factor in uh, pressure on that as well, because um, out there where I am, we're, we're so particular about how often we'll hunt a particular area. You know, we'll, we'll hunt it like this group comes in. We may hunt it for for a couple of days, and then we're out of there, and we don't go back for a few days, and leave alone pressure is. It's something we try to keep to an extreme minimum. And those places out there that I have, I could tell you next year without setting foot on the property where I'm going to find some birds in the morning when I get there. We'll go here. I promise you there's going to be birds here. They roost in the same spot day after day after night after night. Now, they'll thin out as the season goes and they'd start dispersing and breaking up into smaller groups, then, yeah, you'll start finding them in different places. But uh, you'll also have that group that, you know, will be here one day and way down the creek the next day. But you've also got that same group that's going to be there day after day after day. Now, Cedar Creek, for instance, public ground, hammered, extremely high pressure. Uh, you'll find birds in the same area sometimes, and other times you'll hear a bird there one, one day and, You'll go three or four days and not hear a bird in the same spot. Is he there or not? Who knows? Maybe he's just keeping his mouth shut. But I find that uh, a lot of these birds, if the less pressure they have, the more out they are to the roost in the same places. You deer hunt still, Donald? Or you just turkey hunt? Yeah. No, I, I deer hunt. I, in fact, that was the first thing I ever hunted was small game and deer. And we didn't have any turkey out here where I lived at the time. Um, I didn't start turkey hunting when I was 24 years old. Just didn't have any. And uh, I started turkey hunting in the North Georgia mountains. Uh, fortunate enough to hear turkeys the first morning, heard three, and I was hooked right then, just on the gobble alone, and uh, killed killed my first turkey the first day that afternoon. And uh, but I was hooked before I ever pulled the trigger. Tell where, you that. Where was that at in North Georgia? That was in the North Georgia mountains, outside of um, Tacoma, Georgia, on Lake Yona. We used to have a cabin up there, and. Uh, it used to have a lot of turkeys. I hadn't hunted up there in years. We don't have a cabin anymore. But uh, that's where I started. And uh, it's, it's hard. It's hard to beat that 
that turkey gobble in the mountains, man. It just uh, just carries and echoes. And uh, I remember not having a clue how how far away the first turkey I set up on. I thought I was close, and he gobbled from ten to seven in the morning to ten minutes after eight. And of course, I finally realized there was a lake between me and him because of the the bend of the river and the lake. I couldn't tell where he was, but I finally figured he's across the lake. But chances were pretty slim I was going to get that one. Did you figure out where that hunting club was at? I did figure out where that hunting club was at. Before I get to that real quick, I was going to ask, uh, that Yona, that's the name of the turkey calling competition that, yep. that Donald and uh, John have started. Okay. That's right. Yep. We, we talked about names for that contest, and uh, he he liked Yona because of Yona Mountain, which is just deep, I think, from his house, and I liked it because of Lake Yona, so it fit both ways, and that's what we decided to go with. I can't say that I've ever seen Yona Lake, though. Beautiful, beautiful lake. There's a no. chain, chain of Tugelow River runs through there, and on the end of Lake Hartwell. Gotcha. Been on Hartwell, but never on Yona. 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 Yeah. That hunt club I'm in, Donald, is off of 142 on Glades Road. I happen to know where that is. Not necessarily the club, but I know where that road is. And if yeah. any listeners hear that and think you're going to go down there and mess with Nick's stuff, I got cameras and security everywhere. Don't be down there <laughs> jacking around on it. We will find you. Just put that in your pipe and smoke it right now. Pump your brakes on it, Nick. You're giving, giving away all your info there. Your listeners, right. you, never, you never know who you might be telling that to. We're right there We're right there next to the National Forest, kind of, Donald. That's right. And uh, we actually went over there, and we hunted one morning over there on, um, I guess that's Oconee National Forest, correct? That's right. Yeah, they just had recently burnt some, burnt some in there, man. It was beautiful, man. We heard some birds, but didn't have no luck in there. You know that what's funny about that club is, is I was in that club ten years ago. We was talking about that, and <laughs> I killed that deer down there. There's an old Cajun guy. He ain't got Devereaux as a name, but he probably ain't far from a Devereaux, <laughs> Donald. He is Cajun as they come. His name is Tim, but they call him Tim Bo Gotro is his last name, and uh, he has let me hunt out of his stand one evening. And I thought, pay old homage to. Timbo, I'd write my name on my forehead in black paint and come, come out of the barn there and Tony got to laughing at me. He said, you must have wrote that in the mirror. You wrote it backwards, dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> I'd spell Timbo backwards. I had to go in there and wipe it off and redo it. <laughs> oh, Shot a doe that uh, evening with Timbo rode across my head. Tony, boy, he sure did like it. You live, you live close to that area? Where's that? Close to Glades Road. Uh, I'm not too far from it, from here. It's probably maybe 30 minutes, 25, 30 minutes from here. Y'all can well, meet over at that Mexican restaurant in downtown Eatonton and get you a snack sometime. We'll have to. We'll have to meet over and eat, Donald. Yeah, we can do that. We can do that. Make Nicholas uh, buy you lunch. He don't ever buy mine. <laughs> what is that? He's tight. He's a tight. He squeaks when he walks. Is he? <laughs> so how, how did y'all do out there this year in uh, South Dakota? We did fantastic we had uh we killed uh, 33 birds um everybody got their two except for three people and two of those missed and one uh, uh he had a little different view than i had i thought he had opportunities that he didn't and that's good enough for me um he you know i wouldn't want anybody to take a shot they weren't comfortable with um but that's that's the name of the game for me i, I i'm gonna put you in birds and and get you an opportunity and i'll 
I'll say this for a record. If you, if you come out there and hunt with me and you don't get an opportunity to kill a bird, then you come back next year on me. I'm, I don't, I don't play that. So are the, most of these guys returning customers is it always somebody new? A lot of them are returning customers. We've got, uh, in fact, we had, uh, We've got two doctors from Arkansas that come out and hunt with us every year, and one of them's been coming. This was his 25th year, and the other one is his 14th year. Uh, and the guy that uh, that's been coming for 25, I took him out uh, one morning, and he killed his 42nd and 43rd bird with us. Oh wow! Got a good, got a good standing with us for sure. Good guys. He's one of those that that. Uh, when he leaves, he hands you a deposit for next year and says, I want the same dates. And you go, yes, sir. <laughs> well, that's, that's good to have that return in business. It is. It if, is. So you guys have been doing that for a while now. You said 29 years. Yeah. Um, not to call anybody out if they listen to this, but, and I know we're going to ask you what's the strangest thing, but what's the most, uh, maybe unique thing situation that you've been in with a customer. Ooh, that's a good one there. I like that. Well, there's all kinds of scenarios that I've had because, one, weather-wise, for instance, uh, weather in South Dakota is the most unpredictable weather I've ever experienced day in and day out. It can uh, be anywhere from – I've seen opening days 8 degrees and I've seen opening great days that were above 90. Uh, and I had a client this year. In fact, it was that doctor that's been coming for 25 years. He and I got stranded out on the knob of a canyon in the middle of a hailstorm and we couldn't do anything but hunker down up under a, a big cedar bush and we happened to be laying in a, in a cattle path and eventually water started running and it, it filled it up we were soaked to the bone and uh, eventually just said the heck with it and broke lightning popping everywhere and wind and pouring rain and uh, had to walk about a mile and a half back to the truck in it but uh, that was that's pretty spooky. We've had snowstorms that likes of I've never seen here in Georgia at any time of the year. Uh, one year we had 27 inches of snow. Um, that's fun trying to get out of that. Um, uh, yeah, and this year we had a, a day that was 19. Wind was blowing 37. It was a wind chill of one, and it was snowing five ways. So you you get all kind of things out there weather wise that are unpredictable and can put you in some bad spots. Uh, but been fortunate to, to get through those. But I've had some some hunters uh, do some crazy things. <laughs> <laughs> I had a hunter one time. This this particular hunt happened. Cuz Strickland was out hunting with us in Mossy Oak, and they were filming for uh, hunting the country. And I took a guy out bow hunting. And uh, the way we did our bow hunters, we still an awful lot of bow hunting. And uh, we we would put them in blinds so that they could get drawn you know, without educating birds and give them more opportunities and so forth. And this guy, he had killed one uh, a few days before uh, with one of our other guides, Bobby Knight, good good friend of mine that guided with us for eight years out there. And he <laughs> he had uh, this client with him and his buddy, and his, he killed a bird. But when the bird got in, it was so worked up, you know, by the time the bird showed up and got in gun range, they killed him. And he had to go in the bushes and throw up. So, his nerves just, he just couldn't handle it. So I took him bow hunting. And uh, I said, I'll be glad to sit with you. You can sit by yourself. So make a call every now and then. You're in a good spot. His birds coming, got through here all afternoon. He said, oh, I'm good. I'll, I'm fine. So he sat in this blind. It was a homemade deal. And uh, just had a, one open window right in front. And that was it. And uh, 
we called it the coffin. It was kind of long and hot, black inside, you know. Said, all you do is sit there and call off and on. Well, I said, look, try to keep your shot 20 yards and then bird goes down on that draw to your right. Just stay out of there unless it's early. If it gets, <laughs> or it's getting late, stay out there. The birds will roost in that draw. He said, okay, we'll get your bird in the morning. He'll be there. Okay. So I said, meet me back at the road at dark. Well, back, you know, dark out there. South Dakota can be 930, you know. And uh, so I went to pick him up. Bobby went with me and got there and he wasn't at the road. And I was like, Lord, I hope you haven't got lost. So I better go. we better go. So we're going to go get him. So we start in. We get just about to the blind, maybe a couple hundred yards away. And we're whistling. And finally we hear a whistle and we'll see a light flicker on the tree line. So we go over there to him. Man, you know, I looked at his quiver. It was empty. I said, "You like had some action." He said, "Yeah, I, I'm, I'm out of air." I said, "Well, what, what happened?" He, well, long story short, he, he missed one. He missed another one. He missed another one. He's <laughs> missing the left one. Shoot too high. Shooting at their feet. You know, just too nervous. Couldn't get settled. And so, last bird came up. I saw him. He's about twenty yards. And he said, "I couldn't hardly get my bow back." He said, "I was shaking so bad." And he said, I finally got the bow back. And right when I was trying to get the pen settled, this big gobbler steps up and sticks his head right in the blind. He goes, My arrow just went, I don't know how far it went. It went way over his head. He said, I pissed myself and passed out. And I woke up. When we got back to lodge, I told Cuz, I said, you might want to turn your camera on for this one. He said, man, I've been cleaned all that up and proved that I've got my batteries charged. I said, all right. I told the story because I thought I was going to have to get a group together and do the Heimlich maneuver on him. Cuz, big old boy back then. And, uh, <laughs> but he, we all laughed, so I ain't hard at that boy. But it, you, you see stuff. Like all, all these people are so different. Most of all the clients we get are just super, super guys just from around the country. I learned that, you know, there's a such thing as good old country boys from New Jersey. You know, I just always thought New Jersey is a bunch of old Yankees, you know, they, they can't be like us, but yeah, they are. There's some good old boys all over the country. That old, that old saying country must be country wide. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it's a fact. <laughs> uh, oh, well, that's spin us right into our shooting you straight uh, segment for this week. This week's shooting you straight brought to you by land specialist, Cal Hardy with whitetail properties. If you're looking to buy or sell land in the Northwest Georgia area, give our boy Cal a call. 770-296-2163. Day or night. Nicholas, I'm going to be a little selfish this week on shooting you straight and and steal the the thunder. I know you usually like to ask these questions, but I got one for Mr. Jarrett that's kind of stuck out in our mind. You and I have spoke on this and we've talked on him. Donald, what do you feel like is – the the greatest story you've ever had the privilege of writing that's a good one uh actually two come to mind um and both were just recently written in the last couple of years one this year one last year um i think as, as you get older and and you, you really start seeing the whole picture so to speak. It's not just about, oh, it's turkey season, I'm going turkey hunting. There's more to it than that for me. It goes way deeper. And uh, the first one I wrote last year was called The Broad Perspective of Turkey Hunting. And I, I wrote it uh, for Mossy Oak. And 
I had grown men calling me from various places across the country that were little. I mean, they were crying, and I thought, "What, what in the world?" And you know, I don't even know this guy. And uh, I, I came to understand that, that what it did it stirred up an awful lot of emotion and brought people full circle. And for me, it was about all the way going all the way back to the beginning. And, and understanding that turkey hunting is not just about pulling the trigger. It's not just about, um, you know, did I get one today or not? It's, it goes way further than that. And I know there's a lot of people like, uh, oh, you know, I don't, I don't get into all that. Well, that's fine, but you're missing it. It's all I can tell you. But that story was not only a pleasure to, to write and, and try to get some of that out, but it was also even a greater pleasure to get the response that I got to it. And the other one, um, I lost my dad last year, uh, June the 5th. It's coming up really soon on the one-year anniversary of that. And that that was one of the hardest things I've ever gone through in my life. And um, still is at times, you know. There's a lot of – I have to go through all the seasons, you know, to get to to some healing. And – when he passed away, I went into a kind of a funk, you know, I just didn't want to do anything. I wasn't in the mood to do anything that I love to do. And writing certainly was not even on the agenda. I just couldn't do it. I, I, if, if there was a, a, a case of writer's block, I had it then. And one day, um, I was... I was sitting here and I've got a picture of my dad and me with the turkey sitting on the front porch of the steps of the house that I grew up in and that he built. And, uh, that, that turkey I killed last spring and my dad and I never, uh, had a turkey picture together because he wasn't a turkey hunter. He couldn't hear worth a flip. He had both his eardrums screwed up in the army. He got both his eardrums busted and, uh, never really fully recovered from that. But, um, I went. For, I was looking at that picture, sitting here in in, in the, my room, my game room here, uh, one day, and it was almost like you said, "You get your butt in gear," you know. I was, I'm, I'm going out. I'm going to take a walk. So I went walking around the property, and everywhere I walked, I saw that man, or, or remembered something we did together. And uh, when I got back to the house, I got the computer and I wrote the story, and, and it's uh, it's about. The making memories is what it's called, and I wrote that from Osseos as well. Same response, people from all over the place, man, that hit home, that was great, blah, blah, blah. And uh, it, it's just funny how it's still tied into turkey hunting because we went twice in, you know, in his life, and uh, it's still tied in uh, to it. So if you ever get a chance, Go, go to the Mossy Oak page, read those stories, and you'll, maybe you'll, you'll, you'll get it. You'll understand where I'm coming from on both of those. But those two stories are probably the, the greatest um, two stories that I ever wrote because they, they really meant something to me, too. And uh, it's funny, when you write something, you you can read it over and over and over, and you're like, yeah, you know, you're trying to polish it up. But then when you read it, from a reader standpoint instead of a writer, then you know if you nailed it or not. And <laughs> I, I read that one that I wrote about my dad. My girlfriend came down here, uh, my fiance, as a matter of fact, and she said, 
are you through with that one? I said, yeah, I think so. She said, will you read it to me? I said, sure. I think I read it seven, eight times, polishing it up, you know. And I sat there and read that story. It took me 30, 40 minutes to read it because I cried all the way through it. But those two stories, they got they got a special place in my heart. And uh, I think it, it hit home with an awful lot of people. So that that's rewarding when you write something that, that means something to somebody else that you don't even know. That That's when you hit home. Uh, I think that may be the, the greatest blessing you could get from writing a story or a passage or whatever it may be from any any type of writing you decide to do when it elicits a response from someone that it has that emotional tie back to them it's, it's pretty special it is it really is i couldn't imagine the people you've touched with some of your stories and stuff it's, it's like i said we've been g-o-n has been a book that has been part of my life since I was a kid. And I mean, yeah. it was there. I mean, it was, my dad had North American whitetail from the NRA. Cause he was a lifetime NRA member. And he mm-hmm. had the original when, when Buckmasters came out, he yeah. was a subscriber to them and he had G O N and those three books or magazines. He had a cabinet in my bedroom in the basement that was stacks and stacks of those <laughs> and it got wet with the bathtub busted when I was a kid or well I was a teenager then because it flooded my bedroom I actually thought I'd wet the bed in the bathroom <laughs> I was sleeping on the couch and it had sprayed through the wall and it ruined everything in that cabinet I had every and I tell you something else that was in there and I actually saved some of these and I found some of these the other day you remember and I know you remember them Donald remember the paper tags you had to tie on the deer horns oh I do yeah, I'm the orange ones. One right. No, these was yep. blue, like a bluish green color. I remember the, the ones that I got. This, this was an orange one from 1968, right here in front of me. First deer I ever killed, I had to tag it with an orange one and a and a yep. sandwich uh, sandwich tie. tie. Yeah, there you go. Well, hey, you Don, Don, I was well, gonna, I'm sure you tied it with a sandwich tie there. I probably had a loaf of bread. Probably had a loaf of bread in your pocket. Yeah, yeah <laughs> we, and we didn't have any tie wraps or anything. That's all we had. Hey, Donald, has anybody ever approached you about um, helping them or writing a story for them? Oh yeah, absolutely, many times. Yeah, are you yeah, and are you willing to help those people write it? Absolutely, I I'll do whatever I can to help them. I, what I encourage them to do though is. If they've got an idea of something they want to write about, then I tell them to write it. You know, write, write the story. I can't write. Well, you don't know until you try. Try get write something. And let's see. And if there's something that needs to be, look, I, I have to say this. I started writing for Georgia Outdoor News. I didn't know how to write. I was not a writer. I I I wrote a book before I started writing for Georgia Outdoor News. But if any of you've read my book, you know it's pretty primitive. It's not anything that's gonna rival anything Tom Kelly from the road or Gene Nunner or those guys. It's, it's just a raw emotion. Just put it on paper. Put your thoughts on paper. And it's it's easy to read. Uh, it's easy to understand. But it's, it's not – I don't articulate everything that well. I don't try to. I don't try to come up with these um, elegiac words. You know, I just put it down basically like I'm talking. But I do have a, a better grasp of how to make better sense of it. And that's because of Brad Gill, Daryl Kirby, those guys, they taught me how to write because they beat my brains out early on, critiqued me and made me do it over and over until I got it right. And then I started understanding, you know, you can skip this process if you'll just do it right the first time. So 
that helps a lot. But I don't mind helping anybody that wants to do that because you'd be surprised what you can do with some encouragement and some constructive criticism. So, Brad no, Gill, I, that you spoke that name, and he gave me the best piece of advice of anybody that, that I guess writing-wise in my adult life give me and it was hard i mean it was hard to hear i'll be honest with you i i'd never met brad before and i sent him a story that i'd written uh, about the kt team um mm-hmm. that i we were they were gonna put it on the website and um i sent him the story and he flat out i mean he he critiqued the heck out of it but it was the most constructive building block riding style that i'd ever seen that pyramid design that he speaks on in riding. Yeah. Yeah. Never heard it. I never, I mean, I'd been riding my whole life and never heard anything like that. And when he gave me that, it was like, I see what he's talking about, you know, and then that, and it takes somebody like Brad to recognize it, in my opinion, to tell you, sure. hey, hey, he wasn't beating me up about it. He was like, it's a great story. Doesn't make right. sense to me, though. You got to, you're writing it for yourself. You got to write it for someone else to be able to read That's it. Right. That's right. And it was it's great advice. It is great advice. But I will say this. The great thing about uh, when you write a book, you still want to use the right um, metrics. And, you know, you want, to, you want to do it correctly, and you want to do it where somebody can understand it and where it makes perfect sense, and you're not going round and round and round. But at the same time, you've got a lot more freedom when you're writing stuff for, you know, on a book. You're doing it yourself. Anything goes as long as it makes sense to you and you want to put it out there, then that's your freedom to do that. But when you start writing for magazines, it's a little different. I like reading Daryl Gay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Daryl's yeah. stories in the back of GON for years. Yeah. That, that's yeah. been one something. I, what year? And it was, I mean, he hasn't been maybe 10 years that he's been that backstory feature. Has it been longer than that? Uh, well, the way I remember time now, it's probably been longer than that. Really? I mean, I, yeah, I'm I mean, agreeing. <laughs> yeah, it's good stuff, and it's kind of like uh, North American Whitetail at last page is always a good story in that, or, you know, this happened to me in outdoor life all those years. There's always something, but that's, that's G-O-N's little, little end-all right there with Daryl Gay. I always like his stuff. And the the Fall Fiction series, that was, yeah, yeah, golly, those, those are some of the best. And I, I would wait for those magazines to come when that Fall Fiction yep. series started every month. And Dad, yep. Dad was a subscriber. I wasn't. So he would read it first. He'd always take it to work with him. He'd bring it home to me. And then I'd take it to school. <laughs> and so I had to wait an extra week before he got through it. And I, I won't <laughs> ever forget he'd bring home that big lunchbox. I know you've heard him talk about his big lunchbox. He had him one of them Johnny Cash big lunch boxes. <laughs> And he'd he'd bring it home every time, and they'd be in the back. And I, there was time or two I eased in there and got that thing out, and forgot to put it back. And you talk about getting the legs striped for getting that GON out before he was done. <laughs> well, that that's uh, you know, um, all those old old magazines are, are really cool, and and I miss those because they've, they've kind of dwindled away. And I'm glad to see GON still still around, still alive. Um, but that's one thing that this friend of mine that's doing uh, um, the new magazine, uh, the Turkey Hunter magazine, it's really cool to be able to, to pick up a paper copy of something and look at it. And if you need to set it down, set it down. When you come back, there's no ads popped up. It hasn't gone away. You don't have to find it again. It's right there where you left it. So I think that's cool. I, I miss those those old connections of you know, the old hunting magazine and wait month to month for the new edition and 
all that, you know. And I think that was a, a, a telling of the times when magazines started to fade because you just don't see magazines like you used to. They're just not available. But it's that instant, quick, you know, drop a season on Netflix, you binge watch it. What do you really get out of it? I'd, I'd forget by half exactly. what I've seen. But I can sure. go back and think about those stories I read in GON of sure. the guy that was the, the old game warden was hunting near his house. I don't remember which story it was, but the deer could – recognize the smell of backer juice that the guy was spitting that was the story that he told and it, it was just a good st- i mean those those little nuances and now i think about that now when i'm sitting there dipping snuff and spitting on the ground i'm worried about old buck recognizing me i'm gonna get his tail <laughs> had a connection with it yeah and i mean but that's the that's the reality of the world we live in now the connections that we made growing up as kids i my kids won't get that they won't get those connections i mean they just won't they're not gonna sit down and read a joe in because i i've got it coming every month but i I hardly ever go through and read every page of it Mm -hmm. yeah and yeah that's that's a shame uh that it's come to that and i think can't stress enough how important it is uh for guys like you that are young and still have kids that are younger age that can can still have such a huge impression uh, and, and instill those things that you know it's up to us to keep those things going we can't we can't let them go away and uh, i tried my best to, to instill those things in my kids not all grown and gone now and uh but you know it goes all the way back to how you were brought up and the things that were, were near and dear to your heart some of those things weren't so much back then you didn't think they were until until it's now and you look back on them now and go god i miss that i miss that and uh so we have to do uh, a better job of, of teaching our kids the right way to do the outdoors in general and um you know if we don't it's going to go away and and that's a sad that's a sad thing it's just like like turkey hunting in general i think um, you know and i'm not getting into reaping and fanning i'm just mean in general the the definition of turkey hunting is changing and i don't like it i really don't i think turkey hunting was meant to be done a certain way and i think guys like me will, will hold fast to that from now on and then there's other people that are like well you know let's do it this way or let's do it that, that way or let's change you know, you can you can get on the TSS thing. Uh, I shoot TSS. I shoot TSS for pattern density and and uh, and insurance when I screw up on my yard. <laughs> That's the best way I've heard that foot. <laughs> get you a little well, insurance. Buy some TSS. Well, I think he's forty three, and I walk it off, and he's fifty four, and I'm like, good lord, you know, I missed it. But that happens to me in open ground. I've never been a great judge of distance, but. TSS has saved my butt a time or two. I'm not going to say it hasn't, but at the same time, I'm not shooting TSS so I can shoot a turkey at 75, 80 yards. And then people say, well, it, it works and it's legal. You got to draw a line somewhere and something. Stand for something and stand on it. I think that some people would shoot a turkey at 200 yards if they come up with a shell that'll do it. They got not, 130 out six. Just go ahead. I know. <laughs> and there's people out there that would. Sure they would, and but that's that's not turkey hunting. I mean, it, 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 there's something beauty of calling a bird up into a close range, you know, that that makes it uh, makes it special, makes it a little more, a little more connectivity to that to that animal, and that's the beauty of turkey hunting. 
conversation and trying to talk him into coming over there. And, and so you can shoot him at a, at a shotgun range. But um, I, I, I'm, I won't chase that rabbit too far, but that's just kind of, I think it's up to us to teach our kids the right way to do things. And, and uh, if, if you think the right thing to do is to hang on to the things that you grew up doing, then the only way to get it passed on is to make sure our kids are brought up in that same uh, atmosphere. Donald, most of your stories on GON are what typically two pages. I don't. Yeah, it's, it's, my articles are generally run. You, they're probably I don't know about twenty five hundred words. How many pages they they make that cover? They depends on how many ads or whatever they stick you know in those articles and stuff. So, uh, but yeah, they're they're a couple pages, two or three pages. The reason I was asking that, how how much time does it take to to write that? If I'm in a good writing mood, it doesn't take. You know, a couple of hours I can have one raw. You know that I got to polish. If I'm uh, chasing the deadline and I'm I'm tied up in 400 directions, and it might take me uh, a lot longer to write. Um, I generally uh, will have something. I've already got a couple articles ready for next year, so that I don't have to chase anything out. I get in the mood to write the best thing for me to sit out and write. I'm, but see, I'm I'm torn between several different publications now, and um, and I'm also um, working on some other book stuff. So uh, I need to get those done, and I'll work on that, and then I'll get over here on an article, and I'll get on back on the book. And the books and the articles don't necessarily coincide. Some of them, you know, I can pull article material out of some stuff in the book, but I don't generally pull out of an article to put in the book if that makes any sense at all it's books a whole lot different layout it's more storyline the, the books i write are generally going to be uh you know uh, uh an ongoing thing you know do you have a favorite place to ride or is there one place you always go to uh generally it's going to be down here in what i call the my, my game room it's uh when I say game room, I don't have a pool table. It's just turkey and deer and sheds and paintings and guns and ammo and gear. And it's just it's my favorite room in the house. It's, um, my dad and I built this down here. It's down in my basement, but it's, it's a pretty good size. And it's um, he and I built it. We started in around the 5th of January, and uh, we finished it up March the I think the year that we built it, we just worked on it every day. And I was working evening shift at the time, and this is my favorite room in the house. I spend 95 percent of my time down here. I go upstairs to go through the kitchen and go <laughs> to the to the bedroom. That's about it. <laughs> uh, Alex said something a second ago about Brad had told him the best piece of advice was that pyramid system. What would be your best piece of advice for somebody wanting to write? I think you need to. Whatever you decide to write about, I think the best advice I could give is, is to, to try to lay out some structure and, and go from get you a starting point and get you some good meat in the middle and, and uh, finish it up strong. It's, it's like making a sandwich, you know, it, it really is. You got to get, you got to have a good piece on top, a good piece on the bottom, and a lot of good stuff in between. And, and you know, your style is, is up to you. Uh, that, my style, Say huh? Alex is over here making fun of me. He's laughing. You was a writer and you didn't even know it, Nick. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> making I, sandwiches. If I if I wrote like a sandwich, my, 
It'd be a big old book. <laughs> well, hey, that's okay, and I think that's that's important too because you got some people. If you if you give them twenty five hundred word uh, article, they're going to be like, "Well, oh, yeah, that's that's a little long." But here's how I look at it: you've got to find your niche, and then you've also got to be able to you write your style. Let your style be your style. Don't don't worry about trying to get. Um, in compliance with somebody else. In other words, if if GON called me and said, "Hey DJ, we're gonna we're gonna have to start condensing things down a little bit," so from here on out, your articles need to be about anywhere between a thousand and fifteen hundred words. I'd be like, that's gonna be a little hard for me. So I I get a little maybe sometimes maybe a little too descriptive, but I have gotten better on that. I know sometimes they used to run on and on with some of the stuff I wrote, but I've, I've toned it down some. But bottom line is, and I've heard more people tell me this, I get ready to read something. I don't care if it's a 500 words or 3,500 words. If I'm into the article and the article's good, I don't, I don't count the words. Nobody counts the words of an article. They look at the length of it, and most of that's that online, on-your-phone kind of thing. They go, that's too long, I ain't reading that. But if you got a magazine and you bought this magazine and you want to read that magazine and there's an article in there on a subject that, that you like, they don't care how many words it is. They just get into it and they read it and they like it or they don't. You got to be open to criticism, you know, but you, you're going to get criticism sometimes occasionally from somebody that just disagrees with what you said or your thoughts on something. Just don't get overly opinionated. You know, I, everything I write is basically... It's not set in stone, but it, it's chiseled in my stone because that's what I lived and experienced. It's not it's not something I made up. And it's not something that I don't believe in or I think might work. This is this is what works for me, or this is this is what I believe, or this is the experience I had doing this. Whether it lines up with somebody else is, is irrelevant to me. But you just go with go with your heart, pull it out there, and and don't worry about. You know how many words you're putting on paper. Just just be careful not to run on and on and on with it. Nick, if you're a novel, I'm a preface, son. They barely do. I'm just a teaser, so don't, don't feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh my I, goodness! I, I couldn't ever see myself writing a book. I'm not. I just don't know. I don't think I could sit down and devote that much time into telling a story like that. And I think that's what this this podcast is good for us. We're, well, we seem to be better with our mouths than we are with our hands at times. I, I love <laughs> may not be, it may not be the. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I love but but what I'm, when I'm if somebody says oh, you wrote a book, the automatic thought is what you just said. Oh my God, he didn't have anything to do with his life. He sat there and wrote a book. Well, let me tell you, it took me a long time to write a book because it's just something here and there, here and there, here and there. And the great thing about a book is. You need to you need to get back into where you were. Go back and read a chapter, and you go, okay, I know where I'm at now. And you just roll on with how, you got you got a, just as many stories as I've got to tell. Well, maybe not because I'm a lot older. Than <laughs> but. but how many times, Donald, have you started writing and you get in a groove and you you look up and it's three or four o'clock in the morning? I've done that a time or two. I mean, you get you get in that you get in that, and it may hit you. It may not be you know. You say I'm gonna write every other day or every Wednesday at seven o'clock. It don't work like that. You may be laying in bed at nine thirty at night, and it hits you for a writing moment, and you take that, and you may run it till three or four o'clock in the morning, or you may sit down and have to write like you said, and then yeah. have to quit thirty minutes in because you can't come up with nothing. 
but I've done I've done it both ways, and I've I've also realized that that I can't I can't do the all right every Wednesday's my writing night. It doesn't work that way for me. It's kind of like um writing or or drawing or anything that you like to do like that. You you got to be in the mood to do it, or it's not going to turn out as good. I've thrown I've deleted complete articles before. Just read it, read it, and finally go, this sucks, and I just delete it. Just throw it, throw it in the trash, and start over. And then I've done, uh, you know, get in those grooves where time gets away from me and looked up like, God, I've been doing this for four hours, you know, or whatever. And uh, that generally happens uh, in in a book. Articles don't they don't run that long. So I've I've done articles pretty quickly because I was in the mood to do it, and then again get in that groove and it's flowing, and you just go with it. You better because those that feeling doesn't always come around. Sometimes you have to force the issue to get started. Now, a lot of times I'm not in the mood, but I'm chasing the deadline. And once I get started, then I'll get in a, in a groove and it goes pretty well. Donald, before I finish my last question with you, um, is there anything else that we didn't cover that you thought that we should bring up? Um, no, I, I, I just think that what you guys are doing is an awesome thing, and I think you need to continue doing what you're doing. Uh, I think that's an important, important way to get things out there, and just just keep connected with everybody because you know what a what a um, stiff competition or, or, or opponent we have out there in the world today against hunters and gun owners and all that stuff. That we've we've got to stay connected and we've got to stay together. Um, you know, just just keep doing what you're doing. I, only thing I was I was looking forward to talking about with you was how my middle name came about, but we won't get into all that mess. That was, we that might. Was we don't want to no. give them all. We don't want to tell them everything about you, Donald. That's gonna, why I wrote a note there. I was going to have to. We're going to circle up with you later on this fall and hear well, how you're well, doing. Well, we're going to be seeing Donald here in just a few short weeks at the GON yeah, Outdoor Blast. That is right. That is right. I'm going to pencil that down for a question we got to ask Donald live and in person. <laughs> I'm just, I'm, just um, I'm looking. For, uh, Donald, I, and, and I knew that I knew we we're going to get to see over there come uh, the end of July. So I know that. We'll swing back up and have you on over there, and I and and we might I can't remember we might have asked you this over there, but what are you most thankful for? Gosh, man, I I am I'm so thankful that that uh, I had the upbringing that I have, uh, that I was raised how I was and where I was, and uh, you know even more so now. When my I don't want to harp on this too much, but when my dad passed away, the day he. He, he passed. Uh, I went outside and I uh, was walking around out in the yard at, at mom and daddy's house. And I was everywhere I looked, I saw my daddy, and I thought, "This is this is awful." Uh, everywhere I look, I see him. And now I knew I would be on the, well on the men when I would be able to do that. And everywhere I looked, I could smile. And uh, that man, well, I'm so thankful for the memories I have, the upbringing I had, and and because of what he instilled in me way back then, I know some of the best people in the world because I've, you know, I've, I've gotten to, to meet so many wonderful people. And that's, in a nutshell, it, it all comes down to the people. Um, you know, getting to, to hang out with you guys this evening and, 
you know, Kyle and Caleb and Pistol Creek and John and Moss, on and on I could go. But it's, it, those companies aside, I still got to meet the people because of my upbringing. So you can't beat that. I mean, that's, that's the thing I'm most thankful for. Um, family, friends, uh, you know, just very blessed man. Well, that's a, that's a perfect answer, and that's what we're looking for, Donald. And again, thanks for coming. Thanks for coming on this afternoon. Um, Alex is going to go. We're all going to go around here and say our farewells, but don't hang up when we finish this episode. We want to chat with no, you a minute. I, I sure appreciate you guys having me on. Enjoyed it. Yes, sir. Caleb, <clears throat> I had a question. Uh, where can people get online and get your book from if they're wanting, if they're listening, wanting a book? Well, the the best way to do that, uh, I don't have a web page. Um, but you can you can contact me um, through uh, my social media page. I'm, I'm on Facebook, and you can message me on there. That's a simple, easy way to do it. Um, if you guys ever have anybody that, that want one, feel free to have them contact me. I'll I'll be glad to, to get one out to them. I got you. I finished that book before turkey season started this year. So now I made it a thing. Every year I'm going to read that book right before turkey season. And my Got wife, it. she gets on to me because I can't. I don't read that good. I'm a slow reader. And usually <laughs> most of the stuff that I do read, I can't remember half the stuff I read. I could sit there and tell her, I mean, turkey hunt after turkey hunt that you told in that story, in that book. And I enjoyed every minute of reading that. I, I would read two to three chapters a night until I finished that book. So it was a really good <laughs> book. I appreciate that. I, yep. I, I love to hear things like that. And then I heard you say that you're engaged now, so congratulations on that, too. I appreciate that. Yep. Do you read that book to Tyler? Because we know he can't hardly <laughs> read. <laughs> yeah, probably should have. He read it to me over the phone. Yeah. <laughs> he text messages you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So, well, uh, for anybody, though, that hasn't read that book, you need to pick it up. Because it really, really was a good book. So you did read it. I did read it. Oh, okay. I did. Right. I did. Yeah, it really, it really was a good book. So well, I, appreciate I appreciate you, appreciate you coming on. I can't wait to see you at Gon. I can't wait either. Looking forward to it. Me too, man. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. <laughs> Why are you looking at me like that? You've been quiet on tonight. <laughs> I've been working over here. Now I look forward to seeing you at Gon. Circling up. It's always nice to you know get to shake hands of everybody again once we have them you know on the show and actually uh get to hang out with them for a while so look forward to seeing you again over there yes sir me too donald as we wind this thing up you know it's been a you've been a staple in a lot of the guys that have read gon for a lot of years and it's been our honor and privilege to get to speak with someone that's placed herself in so many people's lives that you may or may not have known you've probably made a big difference in and the ones that's reached out to you i'm sure some of the shining moments in your career as a rider and as a turkey hunter you you give an opportunity for people that may or may not understand the dynamic that goes into it and the feeling that goes behind it a chance to kind of get a grasp of what it is and for that you know anyone in the outdoors can be better off if they're if they'll spend some time reading your stuff and just take a take a moment, sit down with you from the first time we met you over there at GON. You were just you treated us just like one of the crowd, and we can't thank you enough for that. And then the opportunity to come on and do a show with you, I'm sure there'll probably be a few more of these down the road if we're blessed enough for sure. Well, I certainly hope so, and and uh, that's a mutual feeling. Uh, you know, I'm I'm just 
just a regular guy that, that likes a turkey hunt and, and uh, put some stuff on paper every now and then. And then if it, it makes a difference for somebody, that, that's important to me, and I'm thankful for that. But uh, I'm no different than, than anybody else. I just enjoy it, and uh, that's what we're supposed to do. So, you know, I'm looking forward to, to sitting down with y'all anytime, and uh, I appreciate the opportunity. I really do. Well, anybody that wants to check out Georgia Outdoor News, we've got listeners all over the country. If you don't know what G-O-N is, you can get online and you can actually read Donald's articles. I think he's got 41 that either mention his name or is written by him available on the website I saw earlier. Pick up a copy of his book. You can find him over on Facebook. He's active there. And if you want to get a copy of it, reach out to us, and we can definitely get you hooked up with Donald. And as I made mention on the beginning of this show, if you haven't already, go over and check out the Lester's Feet Foundation that's Chasing Giants podcast Terry Peer and Don Higgins have going on. They're actually going to be doing the drawing for the truck at the end of this month, first of next month. I think it ends the 27th. They draw the truck on the 1st. So if you haven't done anything with that, go over and check them out. And thanks to everyone that contributed to the KT Team Raffle that we did with R.P. Scritchfield. It was a great hit for us, and uh, we can't wait to see what comes next for the summer. going to be a fun time, Nicholas. Hey, we're on a deer season, son. Let's load them up. No way. <laughs> Get it done now. We're going to be in some strings for sure. For everyone here at Talk About It Outdoors, I, I'm going to quit on that because Nick mentioned deer season for the first time in four and a half months. I'm going to have to buy a lottery ticket on the way home. <laughs> <laughs> Say it with me, everybody. Deer season is coming. Hallelujah. For everyone here at Talk About It Outdoors, we appreciate y'all being with us again. And remember, smile as you go, but don't forget, mouth of memories. Building the foundation of your life starts at the base, and the stronger it is, the better. Talk About It Outdoors is proud of our strong partnership with United Concrete and Paving and the foundation of support they provide. Whether your new home being built needs concrete work or that driveway you're tired of beating all the bearings from your pickup needs a paving, Michael and his team can provide any residential or commercial project support you might need from the ground up. If you're tired of tripping over that unsettled patio slab or a future shop build needs a smooth start, United Concrete and Paving can get you going when you need it most. Give them a call at 404-831-3036 and make sure you tell them them TAI boys are where you heard it first. A few years back, When an overbearing and overgrown backyard became an eyesore, I looked for a solution to resolve. LRS Land Services created a stunning and complete transformation turnkey at an affordable price with their mulching services. Not limited to mulching, LRS can provide turnkey grading and clearing, maintenance, right-of-way clearing, and even development for any and all forestry needs. With an innovative outlook on what is best for your land and a completely different approach than others, LRS can transform your overgrown eyesore into a beautiful landscape of your dreams. Give them a call at 404-889-1105 or check their work out on Facebook at LRS Land Services. Logan and his team are ready to make your land brand new again. Are you in need of a decluttering? barn or garage slap full of stuff you just don't need or is your construction site needing a dumpster give our buddy tony at georgia junk and dumpster rental a call with services ranging from junk removal to roll-offs georgia junk is here to help with any and all removal needs 
If it's time to get that parking spot back or the boat needs a place inside, Tony and his team can surely assist. Servicing Cherokee, Cobb, Bartow, and surrounding counties, give them a call at 404-406-3501 or check them out on Facebook at Georgia Junk. Clean up the yard in short order with Georgia Junk. 